So your body is always using different forms of energy. It's not just using one. So like when you're running slower, it's using carbs and fat as a source of energy. But there becomes a point if, you know, even fat or protein as a source of energy, that is like takes longer for your body to break that down in order to use it as energy. You could... If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode nine of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of themotherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today's interview is with registered dietitian Christy Bauman, and we have a ton to talk about related to fueling mistakes during marathon training. I have a very long list of questions for Christy, breaking down mistakes made during your training runs, after your training runs, during the taper week, up until race day, and afterwards, and how to fix all of these mistakes so that you train, perform, and feel your best. Christy Bauman is a registered dietitian, marathon runner, wife, and mom to a six-month-old and a three-year-old. As a new runner, she thought that she was eating healthy to support her training, but in reality, she was actually eating too clean and unknowingly restricting calories, cutting out fat, and ignoring her hunger signs. Food was constantly on her mind, and she had a big sweet tooth, and these were all signs of underfueling that resulted in recurring injuries and a poor relationship with food. And it wasn't until she began to change her mindset around food, understand the science of nutrition and how the body works, that she was able to learn to fuel properly, feel more energized, and improve her running. So now she is on a mission to spread the message that restricting food and following fad diets is not the answer. Having a positive relationship with food is the foundation of fueling well as a runner. And as I mentioned, you can follow her on Instagram at Marathon Nutritionist. So here is my conversation with Christy Bauman. I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with Christy after this short message from our sponsor. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hey, Christy. It's great to see your face. I don't think you can see me, though. No, I can't right now. (laughs) As we were trying to connect, something weird happened with my audio, and Christy said that all of a sudden I sounded like a man, which was interesting. You had such a deep voice, and it was very talking very slow. (laughs) And then I was hoping that the video would pop up, and all of a sudden it'd be like a Snapchat filter with me with like a beard or handlebar mustache or something. (laughs) Something is hacked into our podcast recording system. So Christy is a mother runner, a new mother runner. Well, so you had your second. How's that going? Yes, I have my second now. He's six months old. 
we've been sleep training. So working on getting rid of those 3am wake up calls. But it's been going really good. It's it's always an adjustment. It takes time. Yes, it does. But I, I say the only constant of parenting is that there's no constant. It just is always changing. Yes, yes 100%. <laughs> so. Okay, so most people will know you from your Instagram handle, Marathon Nutritionist. So we are going to go through and talk about everything that has to do with fueling for marathon training and running marathons. But first, I would love to know how you arrived at being the marathon nutritionist. What Can you tell us a little bit about your running history and then how you decided to help people? I mean, like your main mission is to help people fuel for marathons. Yeah. So I started running a track in cross country in high school. I told myself my senior year of high school that I never wanted to run competitively again because I don't know why. I just didn't love it. And then college came around. I went to, I got a scholarship for music actually. And sophomore year, I'm like, I'm going to join the cross country team. And I was majoring in nutrition as well. And realized like, oh, I know how to fuel my body well, you know, I'm majoring in nutrition, but I would keep getting these reoccurring injuries during college running. And it wasn't actually until literally, I want to say like seven years after college, where I was like, I was under fueling. I thought I was doing everything right, but I realized I would have all these food rules of like, oh, it's not three o'clock snack time. I cannot eat anything. Even though I'm hungry right now, I should, you know, wait. I need to manage my weight if I want to run fast. Or I would find myself looking on Pinterest for the perfect banana bread recipe and go through and like, oh, that one has too much sugar. That one has too much oil. And I'd be obsessing about it. And I would always, you know, hear about eating disorders, but I never realized there's this whole realm of disordered eating as well, where we have, you know, disordered thoughts around food, basically, that comes from diet culture and these, these pressures to look a certain way, especially as a runner, where you think you need to be thin to run faster. And so it made me realize, like, once I started talking to people, are there college runners, just hearing stories is I wasn't alone in experiencing these food rules and this relationship with food. And so many runners experience the exact same thing. And so that's really what got me into realizing like I love learning about sports nutrition and like the supplements and what can help you kind of boost your performance. But really the true nutrition piece comes into giving yourself permission to eat enough to support your training and getting rid of those food rules because those can really hold you back from fueling your body well. I love that. I love the movement that you are, well, really, you're a huge trailblazer in this, I feel like, of promoting eating as a runner because so many people get into running to lose weight. And so then they look at it kind of as like a calculation. Well, if I run, you know, four miles, that's 400 calories that I just burned and I don't want to eat it back. So I'm going to, you know, skimp more and be more in the calorie deficit. And then in the long run, you're hurting yourself because you're getting injured. Um, And then I have yet to meet 
especially a competitive runner who has not battled an eating disorder. Cause it's, I mean, I feel like it's just so ingrained in the culture. It's even promoted by the coaches who tell their runners to lose weight. So I love that you are just taking this on full throttle to just stop the diet culture and all the harm that it's bringing on us. For sure. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how normalized it has become basically. Yeah. And so today we're going to talk a lot about fueling mistakes. And it seems like a lot of these fueling mistakes are rooted in fear or just not knowing how best to fuel your body for optimal performance. Is that what you found in all the all the people that you've worked with? Yeah, yeah. So fear around foods, which I mean, honestly, goes back to body image and thoughts that we have, perceptions that we have on, you know, you need to look a certain way, you need to be at a certain weight to run, which is not the case at all. Like if you run walk, if you get out there and put on your running shoes, like you are a runner. And, and that's, you know, something that I like to instill in the messaging as well is you don't have to be at a certain weight in order to run. Yeah. I mean, from on a personal note, when I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials and didn't because I got injured, but I still went and watched and the run, I had thought that I needed to look a certain way in order to be a quote unquote elite runner. And then when I saw the runners on the course that day in Atlanta, I mean, they were all shapes and sizes and they were all running fast and it didn't matter if they had a six pack or not. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I want to talk about I want to to take people all the way through the marathon training process, starting with marathon training runs and then in, you know, the taper week, how to fuel properly on race day because that can really make or break your your race even if you've had a perfect a build up and then what to do after your marathon for optimal recovery. So, let's start with the training runs. I know, like we've just touched on a little bit, probably the number one mistake people make is underfueling during the day. Can you talk about, or during your run, I should say, can you talk about why this is bad and then how we can fix it? Yeah. So when fueling, and this is specifically fueling during your run? Yeah. Yeah. So carbohydrates are primary source of energy and they are easily broken down in our body and energy for our muscles. The faster you run, the more intensity, higher heart rate, your body is going to be burning more carbohydrates. And we have stores, glycogen stores, which is carbohydrate stores in our liver and muscles, but they only last so long. And if we can give our body that energy while we're running, you're just going to feel so much better on your run, hit your paces, be able to, like so many benefits, be able to recover faster, prevent injuries, because now your body doesn't have to, you know, find other sources and take longer to use energy that your body provides where carbs is the main source. And so fueling during your run, the number one thing is we want to make sure that you're fueling early, because if we wait too long, your body essentially can't catch up if you're not if you're waiting until you know you feel your energy tank it takes time for your body to you know digest those carbs and use them so what does a perfect fueling plan look like during a run yeah so there's never one perfect solution for everyone <laughs> darn <just> because, it 
<laughs> just because, you know, people have different taste preferences. They prefer using gels or sports nutrition products, or maybe they prefer food sources instead, like, you know, dried fruit or dates. And then, you know, everyone's stomach is different too of what can they handle, what feels good to them. Of course, you can train your stomach to adapt and use more energy. Your stomach is a muscle, so it needs to be trained just like your legs and your arms. But yeah, there really is no perfect solution because there's so many different variables in there. And then you throw in, how am I going to carry the nutrition products with me? You know, what's going to be available to me? So many different variables. It really is trial and error, the finding a goo that works well for you or that, yeah, how you can carry. That was something I didn't think about in my last marathon was I, I have pockets in my bra and I was just stuffing so many gels and they were just overflowing and I was like top heavy with my goos. It was not something I thought about. So when you say you can train your gut, what does that look like for someone? So say someone has tummy troubles and they're afraid to fuel on the run because they just think they're going to get sick. So how do you get your stomach used to digesting while on the run? Yeah. So it's interesting because there's so many, I'd say, you know, stomach problems, GI distress comes up a lot because it is, it's not normal to eat while you're running right? I mean, for your body to be able to digest. But there's so many different factors. Like even the fact that your mind fears eating during a run can cause stomach problems. Because from past experiences, like, of course, it's normal to have that fear. So if you're setting yourself up for like, I don't know if I can trust this, trust my body, that in itself can, you know, cause your stomach to feel nauseous or not feel good. And so sometimes it goes back to mindset work. So with our mindset, this can hold you back in even allowing yourself to try new energy gels or try new food products. And so we sometimes have to work on, you know, relaxing. If we're stressed about trying something new, it might be going into that run. Let's focus on decreasing that stress and reframing our mindset around the, the food choices that we're going to be making. That's interesting. I've never thought about that, but it makes total sense that you would just all of a sudden start tensing up when you think about when you're anticipating getting sick on the run, which is awful. <laughs> is there a goo that you recommend that seems to be gentler on the stomach, more easily digestible than others? Lots of people really like whole food, the real food gels. So for example, Huma energy gels, spring energy gels, Mira, if that's how you pronounce it. Those tend to be a uh, easier for people on their stomach, as well as our Martin. And that one I've, I've heard lots of people find really easy on their stomach as well. Yeah, I love Martin. And it's easy to take too. It's basically water. So it goes down easy. Yes. So, okay, we can't talk about fueling on the run without talking about people doing fasted runs and trying to become a fat adapted runner, which, you know, lots of people claim, especially like, you see a lot of male ultra runners touting this, but it's a mistake, especially for female marathoners, correct? Right. Yeah. As female runners, like our hormonal makeup is is completely different and food and carbohydrates are essential in, you know, making sure that we're able to perform to the best of our ability. 
So what trouble do we face and should we ever do a fasted run? What trouble do we face first? I'll ask this question. If that's kind of what we are used to doing, like do we face injuries and hormonal imbalances or, or what lies ahead if you're commonly going out and not fueling at all during your long runs? Yeah. So if you are a morning runner, I used to do this all the time, like for years, I would wake up, get changed and go out the door and run without eating anything. It didn't even occur to me because I was like, I don't, I don't need anything. I feel fine on my run. But what happens overnight is, you know, think about the last time you ate, maybe it was dinner, maybe you had a bedtime snack, but our glycogen is stored in our liver and our muscles. And overnight, our body is using that as a source of energy. When you wake up in the morning, our stress hormone, the cortisol level is high. And so we can help lower that by eating, eating something small, eating some carbs in the morning. And if our cortisol level is already high and then we're exercising on top of that, it increases our stress hormone, which, you know, can, it's hard on our body. And what happens is now our body has to start, depending on how long you're running, but has to start breaking down other sources of energy. It can use fat, but also lots of times it uses protein and protein is coming from our muscles. And so when I look back on my experience of running in college and, you know, not eating enough and skipping, not eating anything before my morning runs, I was like, I bet I could have prevented all those niggly injuries and even bigger ones that where I had to take off for longer months by simply eating before my run and giving myself permission to eat after my run and during my run too. Okay. So is there anything you can do to train your body to tap into the fat stores rather than the protein stores? Like what if you go out and you're running like super slow, your heart rate's like at one in the one twenties. Do you know if you're tapping into the fat stores at that point, or there's just kind of no way of knowing and training your body to do it that way? So your body is always using different forms of energy. It's not just using one. So like when you're running slower, it's using carbs and fat as a source of energy. But there becomes a point if, you know, even fat or protein as a source of energy, that is like takes longer for your body to break that down in order to use it as energy. You can think about it as like when you hit the wall in a marathon, basically that's the time when your glycogen stores are depleted, your glucose that you've been taking in is depleted. And now there's this stop in energy because your body has to find another source. But going back to your question, it's always a combination of your body using different types of energy, breaking down different types of energy. Yeah. Well, we're going to put bonking on the uh, table to talk about further on in the podcast. We could do a whole podcast on how to avoid bonking. It's a terrible feeling. It's awful. Yes. Um, You do not want to do that in your marathon. Okay. So the lessons we've learned thus far is eat a little something before your run. Typically, you want that to be what kind of macros? So carbohydrates, and you want it, the simplest way is eating easily digestible carbohydrates. Think about like foods made from white flour, or it could even, if you're not used to eating anything, you could even do like a sports drink with carbohydrates in it. So a drink with carbs in it, 
or applesauce pouch or banana or graham crackers, pretzels. So there's lots of options out there. And even eating a little something is, you'll notice it. You can definitely notice it on your run. Okay. And if it, is there a duration of run that you want to do that for? Like if you're just going out for an easy 30 minute run, do you need to do that? Should you always do that? Or if it's, does it have to be like longer than an hour that you definitely want to eat a little something? I recommend doing it even if it's a short run, especially if it's in the morning, you know, and you haven't ate anything overnight. You know, if you're running in the afternoon, chances are maybe you had a meal, you know, three, four hours before that. But even then, I know when I run in the afternoon, sometimes I just start feeling sluggish on my runs. And it's like, oh, I haven't ate, you know, maybe I did eat three hours ago, but I still eating something, a little something carbs makes just makes a huge difference. And it goes back to like, why are we fearing eating food that, you know, helps our running? you know, is essential for life, changing (laughs) the language, (laughs) changing the language of normalize eating (laughs) and eating before it runs. Right. There you go. There's the title for the podcast right there. Let's normalize eating. Yes. Oh, how did society get to this place? Okay. Yeah. And if you can do anything to avoid a bad run, if it means just eating a couple of graham crackers, I mean, by all means do it because you don't want to have a bad run. If you can avoid it, go for it. Okay. So before we turn to taper week, I do want to talk about what refueling should look like. Personally, I used to make this mistake because I had no idea what the importance was of making sure you get something in like within 30 minutes of a long run and then eating that second meal. And I just was not recovering. Like I would do my long runs on a Saturday and do a track workout on Tuesdays. And I was just not recovered by then. And finally I had a a good talk with my coach. who was like, you're not eating after your long runs. I was like, I had no idea. I wasn't hungry. I didn't know it was important. So what should it look like when you walk in the door after a long run or a hard workout? You should go straight to the fridge and eat what? (laughs) So unless you're doing a smoothie, you can add carbohydrates to it, like in the fruit and protein powder or adding Greek yogurt to it, milk, that sort of thing. And with that, it can even be like a turkey sandwich or chocolate milk is another perfect example with carbs and protein in it. But oftentimes, like to your point, we don't feel hungry after a long run. We feel nauseous. And, you know, you're like, well, I don't feel like eating. That's the last thing I don't even want to think about food sometimes. But that is like the prime time your muscles are able to restore, use protein, use carbs for recovery. So you recover faster and feel better the next day, later on in that day. So it is a mistake to wait until you are hungry to refuel. Try to get some carbs and some protein in as fast as possible. Yeah. And I think there's a point in saying like, you have this window of time. It's not like your body stops trying to recover after an hour from your workout. It's just, you know, logically when we come back from a run, Maybe you have kids there, you know, me right now, my baby wants to nurse. And so I'm pulled in all these different directions. And before you realize it, or you're trying to stretch and you want to shower before you realize it, you're like, wait, an hour has passed since I got back from my run. 
I haven't even ate anything. And so then, you know, just time goes by and you don't even realize it. And so that's where like being intentional about when I come back, this is what I'm going to have, kind of think about it, plan it out, or, you know, have something ready to go or just being cautious, conscious of it is super helpful. Yeah, that was my barrier earlier on is that my kids needed me when they were younger as soon as I walked in the door. So I would leave a snack on the back steps so that I would eat like a protein bar or something before I even came inside so that I had at least something to help me recover. Um, And then I would eat, you know, a more complete meal like an hour or two after that. Yeah, and that's perfect. All right. So let's talk about what race week before a marathon should look like. A big mistake that people tend to make, I think, is to avoid carbs because it can lead to weight gain. But we want to actually gain weight because that means that the taper is working and that you're stocking your glycogen stores. Yeah. I have a lot of people reach out like race week and and be like, what should I eat? How should I be eating differently? And honestly, the way you eat during taper doesn't really change until a couple of days before the race. You still want to eat, you know, balanced meals. You still want to honor your hunger. Just because you're running less doesn't mean you should be now, you know, changing dramatically, changing the way you're eating or intentionally reducing carbs. You still want to honor your hunger. I mean, naturally, maybe you're, you know, not having as many snacks or just getting full quicker with running less miles, but still being intentional about making sure that we're eating enough because we put in all this hard work and now we don't ruin it just by not eating enough. Right. And you're mentioning about the awakening is totally normal for our weight to actually go up come taper because carbohydrates for every gram of carbohydrate that's stored in your body, your body holds on to two to three grams of of water. And so it's water weight that our body is, is retaining, which is actually a good thing because that helps us be hydrated going into the race. What about hydration? No, that's often overlooked by runners. How should we be hydrating in the week leading up to the race? Yeah. So with hydration, you really want to be intentional to make sure that you're drinking water, you know, throughout the day. Really the best indicator of knowing if you're hydrated is the color of your urine, making making sure it's like a lemonade color. But with, in addition to part of being hydrated is not only fluids or water, but also electrolytes. And so I'll ha- often talk about with my athletes, making sure that you're you know, giving, increasing those electrolyte beverages, drinks, because again, the sodium helps to retain that, those fluids and keep you hydrated as well. And so don't forget about the electrolytes and and you can get electrolytes from the foods that you're eating as well, you know, salting your food. Sometimes I'll have athletes that are afraid of salt, and then we have to be intentional about adding salt to our food, especially, you know, if it's hot weather, if you're a heavy sweater, if you're running at elevation, all those are reasons to, you know, making sure that you're increasing your electrolytes and sodium, especially going into a race. And a big, like famous part of the marathon is the pasta dinner the night before. But it is a mistake to wait until then to carb load. 
correct? Yes, 100%. <laughs> so when should we be carb loading? When should our biggest carb heavy meal be? And when should we start adding carbs to each meal? Yeah. So even going back to training during your training cycle, think about, you know, the night, the day before a long run, being more aware and increasing the carbs then. We don't want to go into race week where maybe we've restricted carbs or been afraid of carbs and now we're increasing a lot because carbohydrate loading starts two and a half to three days before your race, especially when we look at running a marathon. And so during that time, you want to make 80%, 90% of your plates carbohydrates because this allows your body to stock those, those glycogen stores so they are fully stocked going into into your race. So, you know, having more carbohydrate foods, whether it's bread and pasta or rice, limiting the amount of fiber that you may be eating from vegetables that could potentially cause stomach problems and getting into, you know, adding in snacks that are mostly carbohydrates as well. So you want to avoid fibrous foods, but you don't want to completely avoid them because that's a mistake that can lead to the dreaded race constipation and nobody wants to run a marathon backed up. So what do you recommend as far as how much fiber somebody should be eating before a marathon? It's a very delicate balance. Totally fine with eating, you know, basically foods made from white flour those easily digestible foods, while other people need to be more aware and conscious of making sure that they're including. Some people are totally fine eating foods made from white flour, while other people need to be more aware of eating, incorporating complex carbs like oatmeal or incorporating flaxseed in order to prevent that constipation or, you know, gut problems going into race. And this is where you really want to practice your carbo carbo loading during training runs. So anytime that you're running over, you know, 18 miles, doing those 20 mile runs, practice that carbohydrate loading to see what works best for you. That is an excellent point. We get the glorious opportunity each week to practice so that we don't have any surprises on race day. Yep. No surprises on race day is the best. (laughs) Yes, you want to minimize as much friction and as many surprises as you can on race day. There'll always be something, but we try to control as much as we can, of course. Okay, so now let's talk about race day. What are some of the big mistakes you see people make on during the race and then also leading up to the race? Yeah, so... One mistake, um, going back to carbohydrate loading, is sometimes with that, one, like I mentioned, their body isn't used to eating carbs during the training cycle because whether they have fears around eating carbs or eating too many, and then they go into carbohydrate loading and then you know their body's kind of in shock of what's going on, what is this? So that's one thing. And then also sometimes with carbohydrate loading, we, we think like, oh, I can eat all these donuts and pastries and higher fat foods, which cannot, which sometimes, which oftentimes does not make you feel your best where now you're not only getting the carbs, but extra fat too, which can, you know, make you, your stomach not feel good going into the race day. And so being aware of, 
eating, think of kind of like simple and bland carbs. So like I mentioned, pretzels or rice, pasta, using marinara sauce instead of Alfredo sauce, which is higher in fat. Choosing pizza with thick crust, but being aware of like, okay, it can't be greasy pizza. Too much fat isn't going to make me feel my best. Okay. And what about the morning of? Do you see people like kind of messing up their breakfast or not waking up early enough to eat a good breakfast and have it digested by the time they get to the start line? Yeah. So again, it goes back to practicing during your long runs, what you plan to do come race day, being aware of, you know, you don't want to try anything new on race day. That includes what you're going to eat the morning of. Sometimes with coffee, coffee can become an issue because, you know, you have race day jitters and you add coffee on top of it, knowing your limit with caffeine going into your race. Let's see, those are a few things that come to mind or even, yeah, just the race day jitters can throw everything off sometimes. I was, I forget who I was reading about one elite. It might've been Molly Seidel where she wakes up eats a big breakfast like three or four hours before the race and then kind of goes back to sleep. So to make sure that she has fuel and, but it's digested. Is there an optimal time before you get to the race that you want to eat your bigger breakfast and then have like a goo or something at the start line before you start? Yeah, I would plan for at least two to three hours before the start where you're having that bigger breakfast. And again, some people need three, four hours before if they tend to have stomach problems. And, you know, that's where it goes back to, again, thinking that even the night before, you could have a bedtime snack, which helps, you know, top off your glycogen stores before you go to bed, which can help you in the morning, you know, feel like you don't have to eat a giant breakfast or overeat. Because we've done all this carbohydrate loading the days prior to the race that, you know, the morning of is still important, but it's not like you have to eat a giant breakfast. Got it. Okay. Well, that's great to know. I think a lot of people make the mistake of waiting to fuel in their race. And I know you said early and often is the best strategy and, and research supports that, that people have faster marathon times, the, the sooner they start fueling. So when should we take that first gel or aim to take that first gel or if it's, you know, real food, whatever your fuel source is? Yeah. So I encourage about the half hour mark taking that first gel. I know sometimes people will go based on miles at the mile marker, but, you know, sometimes that can vary depending on typically not, I guess you can easily run faster at the start of a race. But remember, if you're running faster, your body's burning more carbohydrates. So again, around that half hour mark. Okay. And then try to keep that up as much as as much as you're used to doing because some people may need it more often. Some people, their stomachs may not be used to that. But every 30 minutes is kind of the kind of the gold standard, maybe. Yeah. Again, very individualized. Some people like to sip on a carb-based drink throughout that time. So it's not like you're taking in a ton of carbs at one time. Same goes for energy gels. Some people like to take it over the course of a couple miles. So again, you're, you're gradually taking in it throughout the whole race. 
Yeah. So how does it work as far as taking gels and then also electrolyte drinks? Because I know that that can be tricky too, because they can combine and essentially turn into sludge in your stomach, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, gels are intended to be taken with water to basically dilute the mixture so your body can easily, more easily digest it and absorb it into your bloodstream. You know, some electrolyte beverages also include carbs. So that's when it becomes like if you think of Gatorade or Gatorade endurance on many of the race courses, that can just be too much sugar and your body only has so many types of sugar receptors to absorb that glucose. And so then, you know, that's where <laughs> that's where it can, you know, run into stomach problems again. So if, if you're taking a gel that has carbs and electrolytes in it, then you should you just stick with water then? Or how does that fueling strategy look? Yeah, so I think, you know, you can definitely stick with water. I know other runners are completely fine with having an electrolyte beverage with it. I would shy away from having the carbs and electrolyte beverage with it. But, you know, the thing with like electrolytes is our body needs a little bit of carbs to help absorb the electrolytes too. Granted, you know, you're going to be probably sipping on it or taking it throughout the race where you're going to have some carbs in your stomach too. But again, becomes very individualized, something that you need to practice and see what works best for you. So you should know going into a race, obviously what you plan to take and what you plan to drink, but take a look at what your your gel consist of and then what your preferred drink consists of or what they're offering on the course to make sure that they you're not overloading your system too much. Yes, correct. And then if you take your gels with water, then are you safe to like, is it digested enough usually for you to then alternate? So like 15 minutes later, then you can grab a Gatorade as you're going through the next like Gatorade water stop. Yep. Yeah. Does it digest that quickly? Yep. Okay. So about 15 minutes to digest the the gel. You know, some of them can take a little bit longer, like sometimes a whole food gels can take a little bit longer for your body to digest and absorb. But generally speaking, 15, 20 minutes, and then you should be good to go on taking something else. Okay. And do you have a recommendation for hydration? hydration? Because I think a lot of people forget about the importance of hydrating and they just kind of wait for their body's cues to tell them, hey, I'm thirsty. And by that time, it might be too late and you might be cramping. So what's your recommendation there? Yeah. So one thing that I have my athletes do is do a sweat rate test. And basically during a 60 minute training run, you weigh yourself before that run. And then after the run again, and see how much weight you lose. And for every pound of weight, that's equal to 16 ounces of fluids lost. And so then we can kind of start to establish of, okay, how many fluids am I taking in? I don't need to replace all of the fluids because thankfully our body, you know, can still work on, you know, not replacing all of them. It becomes, we don't want to become too dehydrated. But that can give you a measure of, okay, my goal is to take in 16 ounces of fluids every hour. What does that look like? Am I going to, you know, take two big gulps, four big gulps every 15 minutes? Am I going to be intentional about, you know, taking this much water with the energy gels? 
kind of can have a plan in place of how much foods I'm going to try and take in to reduce the risk of dehydration. And obviously, it's still important even if you're running a cold marathon. Yes. So that's, and I know you mentioned thirst before. Thirst isn't a good indicator of when we need to drink water. There's a lot of research on how we can't rely on thirst alone when we're exercising. And so going back to your question, remind me what you had said. That even on a cold day, you should be hydrating. Yes. So even on a cold day, like we become dehydrate through our breath that releases. Yeah. So that even releases our, you know, water vapor, you know, that needs to be replaced. And so we might not feel like we're sweating as much or like just don't notice it as much because it's cool, cooler temperatures outside. And so yes, hydrating when it's cold becomes important too. Okay. And so when you cross the finish line and you're like, whoo, this long journey is over. I don't have to think about refueling or anything because I'm done and I'm just going to chill out. That is a mistake, right? Because you still want to recover and chances are, you know, you're still going to want to be running sooner rather than later, right? So what mistakes do you see runners make once they cross that finish line and kind of forget about the importance of giving our bodies what they need to, to repair themselves? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to like, you just finished a marathon, you just finished a half marathon, of course, let's celebrate. And if that means, you know, they sometimes have the beer drinks afterwards, like, of course, that's not going to be the best choice if you want to be recovering quick, because that's going to dehydrate you more. But choosing, you know, oftentimes, I know races here, they'll have chocolate milk afterwards or soup, soup broth, the broth is really good for replacing the sodium and electrolytes and fluids afterwards. Again, going back to can I eat at least a little something rather than I'm not feeling very good? I'm feeling nauseous. Can I nibble on something? Can I sip on something to start that recovery process? You know, if you don't do that, it's just going to take longer for your body to recover. You just might feel it for a few more days longer. You might be exhausted the rest of the day, even more so. Your body is going to recover. It just is that food and the nutrition piece helps you body recover faster. And do you see a lot of people not do a good job with their nutrition the week after a marathon because they're thinking like, oh, well, I'm not running, so I don't need I don't need this much food. Oh, for sure. Or the mentality, this is interesting, in college, after our season, we would have, it's so funny saying this now, we'd have a fat and happy week of like, it was like your permission of like, you can eat anything now, like you put all this work in and now like, just enjoy and eat anything that you want, which is not a good man- mentality to have, because we should be enjoying food all throughout the process. Right. <laughs> but anyway, again, let's normalize eating. <laughs> yes, for sure. But anyways, we can, yeah, it becomes a mentality of you know, was I super strict with my diet of what I was eating during, during my runs? And now I feel like I earned or deserve to eat, which no, you deserve to eat every day. It's, it's essential for life. So going back to the mindset piece. Yeah, you posted something about that on Instagram. And it was so spot on, I think, for so many people, myself included, that you do not have to earn your food. I mean, it's not like we're dogs and we have to do a trick or something to earn a treat. I mean, for goodness sakes, eat the cookie and keep 
moving on with your life, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, if you eat too many cookies, it's not going to feel good. So let's pay attention to how food makes us feel. And, you know, I know if I eat some dessert and keep wanting more of it, that means I didn't eat enough earlier in the day, earlier at that meal, because I'm so hungry. Yeah. How do you make sure your athletes are eating enough throughout the day? Because I think a lot of us think that we are, and then we find ourselves binging at 9 p.m., uh, you know, eating a bag of chips or a box of cereal or whatever. Yeah. What are the signs that I'm not eating enough earlier in the day? For example, like you said, like obsessing about wanting to eat everything in sight at night, snacking, wanting to eat all the snacks, having a big sweet tooth and sweet cravings. Like that can be a big sign that you're not getting enough carbs earlier in the day. You're not even enough protein or fat. It could be any one of the macronutrients. Feeling poor recovery where you're like, do a long run and all you want to do is take a long nap and just sleep on the couch. That goes back to not only what you're eating after the run, but your everyday meals of, am I giving my body enough nourishment to support my training? Going back to having brain fog in the afternoon or getting hangry and easily upset with your kids and frustrated. Like those are all signs that your brain isn't, you know, getting enough carbs, your body's not getting enough nutrition, enough nutrients for, to support everyday life and training. And it can really, when your miles start to creep up, it can really be tricky to make sure that you're adjusting your diet so that you're meeting the needs of your body. I remember when I was running close to 100 miles a week, I mean, I was hungry all the time and, and tired, and I just felt like I could not get full. I could have really used your help, Christy, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> it was like I just I kept trying to feed the beast, and there was just like nothing that would satiate me. So I'm sure I wasn't turning to the right foods at the time. Yeah, we can get so caught up in eating super healthy or like eating fruits and vegetables and, you know, even whole grains and salmon and fish. But at that point, when we're running 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 miles a week, like we just need to focus on getting in the calories and getting in the, you know, sometimes we have to go towards that burger, or the quote unquote unhealthier foods in order to make sure that we're nourishing our body and getting enough energy in. Yes. I think I needed more hamburgers. I basically had a jar of peanut butter in my hand all the time, I think. Yep. I've been there. Because <laughs> it was quick and easy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> what would life be like without peanut butter? I, I don't want to know it. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely scooped peanut butter too. <laughs> yes. It's so good. All the nut butters. I love them all. I do not discriminate. So you mentioned when we started the podcast that you were not a fan of running, but now you have built a career on running and helping runners. What is it about running that you realize that you love? Yeah, I know it's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think honestly, the part that I love about running is like when you run, you learn so much about yourself, whether you know it's through challenging workouts that you never thought that you could complete or finish or hit the pace to like, I just felt like I've gotten so much more confidence, like personal self-confidence from running I don't know what it is or like just the community of runners is awesome and amazing. Like just how supportive we are 
And even people, whether you are really fast or even running in the back of the pack, like just to see you out there and pushing yourself and seeing what your body can do is absolutely amazing. Honestly, I feel like those people who are running you know, at the the back of the pack inspire me more, more than anything. Because if I think about like, if I was in your shoes, I don't think I would do that. I don't, I can't imagine, you know, just the mental hurdles, how much you have overcome to get to this as well. That is such an excellent point. I mean, it really is a testament to the power of the sport. I mean, I have a couple athletes who are, you know, five or six hour marathoners and I'm just like, like they are beast to be on their feet that long in the time that it takes for them to train to do 26.2. And it just shows how much the sport gives back to us. And you're right. I mean, the running community is just, it's unparalleled. And it's a huge reason why I think we get out there every day and keep doing it no matter the challenges that confront us. Yeah, for sure. Well, I have loved talking with you so much and I learned so much. How can people find you if they want to connect with you or have you as their marathon nutritionist? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. I hang out there a lot at marathon.nutritionist. Feel free to send me a DM. Let me know if you listen to the podcast episode here. I love to connect with other runners and Yeah, I offer coaching, a membership, if you're training for an upcoming race to really dive into the sports nutrition on fueling your body well, as well as higher level coaching where we really dive into healing your relationship with food and getting rid of those food rules and overall every day fueling your body as well as for running and training. I love it. Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It was so great. And it was such a joy talking to you as well and just connecting and hearing your experiences too. Awesome. Thanks, Christy. Thank you, Christy. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash TPR. We'll be sure to read them out on future episodes. See you next time.